Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to each of you in the name of Jesus, who is Lord over every authority. Amen. Uh, we're beginning a new chapter, Romans chapter 12 today, and so I encourage you to open up your journal or uh, a pew Bible to Romans 12. And we're going to focus just on the first two verses of Romans 12 today, which is enough because <laughs> he really sets out the whole direction uh, for the rest of the book of Romans in these two verses. And so uh, let's hear this word of God together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's holy word. Uh, So we're really at a a hinge point or a turning point in the book of Romans, and I just want to show you uh, some of how this is hinging. And so in the first 11 chapters of Romans, there was uh, a topic, uh, the righteousness of God. Uh, In fact, most of the Romans, the theme is actually not about you. (laughs) It's about God. It's about His righteousness, His character, His faithfulness. Romans is putting forward evidence that God is faithful and true and worthy of your trust. And so in the beginning uh, 11 chapters of the, of the book, r- righteousness words are used a lot. And in particular, the righteousness of God with f- the word faith, that we obtain God's righteousness by faith in Jesus. And so in the first 11 chapters, righteousness words were used 55 times uh, in those first 11 chapters. That's quite a bit. Now, in the next Uh, section, the last section of the book, these words kind of go away. In fact, righteousness words are only used one time. And so we can see this dramatic shift in topic. Uh, Paul is no longer talking to us about God's righteousness, but what he's going to be talking about is our lives lived out in faith. What does it look like when a Christian who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit lives life in this broken world? What is that challenge like? And what are the practical instructions for how to live in this world as a Christian? And so this really syncs up nicely with, uh, all the way back in Romans 1, the thesis of the whole book of Romans uh, is chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And so, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I already did that. But uh, the shift here is the righteousness by faith to the life by faith. And so this is where we get that from. Uh, This is Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. You want to read this with me? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, 
The righteous shall live by faith. And so the first half of the book is about God's faithfulness, which causes us to trust him. It causes our faith, right? So it's written from faith for faith, right? God's faithfulness displayed gives us reason to believe him and trust him. And then it says the righteous will live by faith. We live in this new way of life where we trust our God, our Heavenly Father. Uh, And so today I want to look through one particular lens that Paul brings up in a way of understanding this, and that is the, the lens, the theme of sacrifice. And so in the Old Testament, uh, there was lots of sacrifice. In fact, if you listen to uh, the reading from Leviticus, you know, maybe you were a little shocked because it's kind of bloody, right? And unless you work in, uh, you know, agriculture, or you're, you're raising livestock, uh, you're not used to that. I mean, we eat chicken and steak and pork all the time, right? But we actually really don't like to think about where, where those things come from. And it's a little bit shocking when we hear that in the Old Testament, there was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice at the altar. In particular, here in Leviticus, we heard about um, this guilt offering, this sin offering, that people would bring a goat without blemish to to the altar. They would kill it and then offer the blood on the altar uh, dip, the priest would dip his fingers in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. They would pour out the rest of the blood. And this, in this, their sins were forgiven. And so in the Old Testament, there's this kind of uh, ritual that they would do so that they could be in front of a holy God and not be destroyed. And this is what God instructed them to do, uh, to bring these sin sacrifices So that God would pardon their sin. There's an exchange that would happen. And this was going on for generation after generation after generation. That uh, sin offerings were brought to the Lord so that they could be atoned. The people could be atoned. Living at peace with God and their sins would be forgiven. It's a massive theme in the Old Testament. And of course we know... All of this leads up to the one true sacrifice, and that is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the one sacrifice for all creation. The Bible calls him the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and that God laid on him the sins of us all, that he was like a sheep before its shearers, it was silent, that there was an exchange, blood for blood, Christ's blood for your blood, right? For my blood, so that we could be at one with God, atoned, and we would be receiving his mercy. Uh, Romans 3 says it this way, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so all of this Old Testament sacrifice, all of it was pointing to Jesus. Jesus is that true sacrifice, willingly giving himself for you. And by his blood and by faith in his blood, we have forgiveness. We have salvation. Uh, God passed over the former sins and he put them on Jesus so that we could be saved. Thanks be to God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has come. He is the true sacrifice. Not only that, but if we look into the book of Revelation, 
the dominant image of Jesus in the book of Revelation is the lamb that was slain that is upon the throne. And so we can say that even in the, in the final revelation of God, what God wants you to know first and foremost about Jesus is that Jesus is the lamb who was slain. That's who he forever will be, the lamb who was slain for the sake of the world. It's his glory, it's his honor, it's his person. And so it's in faith in this Jesus that anyone is saved. We, could, we should rightly say that there is no salvation apart from the blood of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, because this is the one sacrifice that God put forward for the sake of the world. And so there's something interesting that happens, that there's two kinds, there's multiple types of offerings and sacrifices in the Old Testament. There's a sin offering, which we've talked about, and Jesus becomes that sin offering for the world. But then there's also um, a thank offering. There's an offering that people would bring to the temple, bring to the altar, that didn't have to do with sin and guilt, but it had to do with simply giving affection and love to God freely. Sometimes it's called a free will offering. It's recognizing God is the one who saved me. God is the one who redeemed me. He loves me, and so therefore I'm going to love him too. I'm going to thank him from a free heart. And what's interesting is this language of sacrifice does not end with Jesus, the final sacrifice. The language of sacrifice pushes forward into the New Testament, but then it just changes. And so look with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we're going to look at a couple aspects of this. First of all, he puts forward our bodies. So in the Old Testament, it was the body of an animal, right? Uh, In Christ, it was his body. But now in the New Testament, in the time of the Holy Spirit, it's our body. So I just want to encourage everyone who has a body, just touch it real quick. You got a body? Yeah. Uh, In the New Testament, your body is the sacrifice. Your body is what you freely offer to God. And look what it says. By the mercies of God, we offer our sacrifices. By the mercies of God, we offer our bodies. Um, It's in light of his great love. It's in light of the blood spilled for me that I'm going to say, you know what? My mind belongs to God. My ears belong to God, my tongue, my lips, uh, my arms, my feet, where I go, where I spend my time, my entire body belongs to God. And it's, it's his. You know, if he wants it, it's his. If he wants my money, it's his. If he wants my TV at home, it's his. Right? If he wants anything that I possess, anything that's in my control, it belongs to my God. I freely Give it to him because he has given his son for me. I want to show you in one of the Psalms uh, some of this language that comes up. Uh, In the Psalms, Psalm 110, a little trivia for you, is Psalm 110 is the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament. And it's actually, if you read it, it's a brief Psalm, but it's actually kind of scary 
in the sense that it's talking about God destroying his enemies and putting his king on the throne who will rule with an iron scepter. So it's, a, it's an authority psalm. It's a, it's a psalm of overthrowing false government and putting up Jesus. And so Jesus throws it out a lot, as do the apostles, as a way of warning people. But in the middle of this psalm, there's something really beautiful. So here it is, Psalm 110, verse 2 says this, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, Rule in the midst of your enemies. And then in verse 3, you want to read this with me? Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. It's interesting because in this psalm we have this tension. On one hand, this great and mighty king rules with an iron scepter and shatters his enemies. So he's a man of power and authority and strength. No one can oppose him. Uh, It's just like Jesus is today, ascended to the right hand of God. No one's going to take him out. No one's going to take him down. He's immortal, eternal, forever blessed, and he's coming back. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So we have this great power displayed of God, but we also see these people who are not afraid. They don't think of him as a tyrant or anything like that but they freely give themselves. Do you see? And I think this is one of the wonderful mysteries of our Savior, is that he is that miraculous, powerful force. No one can stop him. No one can oppose him. And yet he does not come with force into your life, does he? He doesn't come with a sword into your house and say, believe or else. He doesn't say, you'll obey and get in line and like it. What does he do? He gives himself in blood for you. He lays down his life on the cross. He becomes a sacrifice for you. He wins your heart so that you'll say, I will freely give my life to him. He has cleansed me. He's washed me. He's covered me in holy garments, right? He's covered me in righteousness. I will freely give myself to him. This is the marvelous, gentle ruling of Jesus. He's worthy of our praise and our thanksgiving. I want you to notice uh, in this section, just we talked already a little bit about bodies, right? I want you to notice just how visceral the language is of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it's the it's the goat, it's the sheep, it's the bulls. In the New Testament, it's the body of Christ himself, and then it's your body. Notice how embodied that language is. This is incredibly important because I think one of the most destructive lies that have continually fooled people in our world is that you can be a Christian just in your mind. That you can just think the right things about God to some degree, and that's all. Rather than what the Bible continually puts before us, that our bodies are affected by salvation. That God is interested in what you're doing with your body, with your hands, and with your feet, and with your eyes, and with your ears. God created your body, and he sent his son in the flesh to save your body, Christ has ascended in a human body, and you and I will be resurrected in a body. 
glorified. What does that mean is that today God has a plan for your body, right? Today God cares about what we're doing with our members, with our hands. All of our ethics is based on this because you can't have ethics of the mind, what you think, right? But we are embodied creatures who are meant to do certain things, to walk in good works that God has prepared for us. And so there's many people who are deceived by this idea that I can be a Christian just in my mind, but that has no effect on where I go, on what I see, on what I speak. That is no faith at all. It's no Christianity at all. It's no religion at all. The true Christianity embeds itself deeply into our hearts, into our minds, and lives out into this world, this created world, with our heart and our hands, our minds, our our fingers. Everything about us then comes under the loving care and jurisdiction of Jesus. And so this is what Paul is intent on, that our bodies would be incorporated into the kingdom of God, his will, his righteousness. What we do with our time while we're here matters as we draw breath into our lungs. Don't be deceived that you can just have it in your mind and it would not be also worked out throughout your entire body. This is our living sacrifice and It is our spiritual worship, what we do with the flesh that God has gifted to us. The second thing I want you to notice about this text uh, is the second part right here, that we are holy and acceptable to God. So we are to offer ourselves, our bodies to God in the light of his mercy, and we are holy and acceptable to God. It's kind of like this. Uh, If you have kids or you were a kid or you had a kid, one of the things kids love to do is is draw art, right? And it's almost like they're machines. They can't stop. Certain times in their life, they're making art every single day, right? And that art comes to you, and what do you do with it? Where does it go? Goes on the fridge, right? Now, does it go on the fridge because it's a masterpiece that will one day grace the halls of fine art museums. Is that why it goes on the fridge? Why does it go on the fridge? Because you love that kid. (laughs) Because whatever they do is wonderful because you love them and they love you and they give you something saying, here, look what I've done for you. And yeah, that's beautiful because it belongs to me and because it's a gift to me. And so it is with our God. Why does he accept your sacrifice? Why does he love what you do for him? Is it because he needs a payday? Or because it's so magnificent? Because he needs a a little booster for his, his enthusiasm, his mood? No, it's because he loves you. He accepts your sacrifice for the sake of Christ. It's not the most magnificent thing, but it's from you to him, from your heart to his heart, and he sees that. And so our God accepts our good works. He accepts our sacrifices, not because they save us, but because they're offered in love towards him and because he has made us acceptable in his sight. We are worthy before God. 
In the Old Testament, if you brought a crippled goat to, the, to be sacrificed, what would happen? Get this guy out of here, right? If you, if you brought a crippled lamb or a blemished sacrifice, it was not worthy of God. And there's all of these, um, all of these verses saying, don't do that. Don't bring uh, unworthy sacrifices to God. And so if it was just us, bringing ourselves to God, they would truly be unworthy, right? They would not be worthy to sacrifice to God. And that's where Christ, the perfect sacrifice, has cleansed us and made us worthy. Why are we worthy? Because we've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And so apart from Christ, any attempt to serve God, to please him with our works, would be in vain. That's what like the whole first three chapters of Romans were about. He would simply be offended at our presumptuous and crippled attempt to please him. But in Christ, we are pure. We have become holy. We have become worthy to be offered. We have something to give because Jesus has made us worthy. Spotless and blameless, we've been covered in the blood of Christ, emerging new. Apart from the Holy Spirit, right, before we're baptized and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we were profane. We're not holy. We were not worthy to be vessels of God's glory. We're not worthy to be resurrected in the image of Christ. We were fit to be discarded, to be vessels of wrath, right? But with the Holy Spirit, as he has taken up residence in us, he has made you to be a holy people, And the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body to present yourself to him. And so this is the teaching. Christians can no longer say, I have nothing to offer to God. Before you're a Christian, you could say that. But now that you're in Christ and cleansed and purified and indwelled by the spirit, now you say, I have lots to give to God. Now I'm a worthy and acceptable sacrifice to my God. I'm going to give my whole being. No one can say, I'm just so messed up. I got nothing to give. I'm just so, so busy. I got nothing to give. No one can say, I can't give to God because we have been made acceptable in his sight. And this we see a beautiful picture of uh, in the book of Luke, in our gospel reading for today where we saw this woman come into Jesus' presence. And what was everyone saying about her? She's not worthy. Get her out of here. She, has, she should offer nothing to God, right? She is a sinner. And Jesus says, bring her near. He says, don't rebuke her. This woman he knows was a sinner. He knows, says she was a woman of the city and a sinner. And she's coming into his presence and she's broken. She's filthy. But what does she do? It's so beautiful. She breaks that flask and pours it on Jesus' feet and uses her very hair to wipe his feet. What is she doing? Is she not giving her whole self as a sacrifice to him? Do you see? It's a thank offering. It's her giving her whole body, her whole being. What her body was likely used as a vessel for evil, right? It was 
likely used as a vessel for abuse. It was likely used as something that was squandered, a gift that was squandered. But now in Jesus, her offering is acceptable. Why? Because she was forgiven. And Jesus tells a whole story about this. He he tells the the host of the feast. He says, well, who's going to love more? The one who is forgiven a little bit of money and his debt's forgiven or the one who's forgiven a huge debt? And Simon says, well, yeah, it's the one forgiven a huge debt. It's almost like Jesus could say, do you get it yet? She was forgiven much and so she loved much. In light of the mercy of God, she poured herself out as a living sacrifice, a thank offering on Jesus' feet. What a beautiful picture of what we are to do. And so the question is, do you love much? Do you see how much mercy has been spilled for you? The problem is oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we don't think twice about it. And our human nature says, no, you're good. It's those other sinners that really need Jesus, but not you. But I've used this before, and I think it's always true. If all of your evil thoughts and intents of your heart and your mind and your evil actions, your evil days, the things you're embarrassed of, if all of those were projected on these screens so that everyone here could see, what would you do? You'd run for the hills, right? You'd disappear and you'd never be seen again because how great is your sin that you'd be so ashamed of it in front of humans that you would never speak to another person in this room. It's the truth for every one of us. How much more before God should we be ashamed of those sins, those moments? And what a relief it is when God says, yeah, I've seen the entire picture. I've seen the whole thing. And I covered it with the blood of Jesus so that you could be forgiven and that you could be worthy once again to offer your life to me. Uh, As we see the mercy of God poured out again and again for us, we see his mercy lavished upon us, it will draw our hearts deeper and deeper into love and affection with him so that we can give to him our spiritual worship sacrificing our very bodies to our God in love. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what you have done in Christ Jesus for us. We pray, Lord, that we would become more and more aware of your mercy over our lives, that we wouldn't deceive ourselves, uh, that we don't need your mercy, and that we wouldn't deceive ourselves, that because of what you've done, we don't absolutely owe our entire existence into your hands. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, Uh, to give of ourselves freely to you as we are covered in your righteousness. Cause us to be vessels of your love and use all of our members, all of our bodies for your purposes. We pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.